Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 178 of the Talking Chop podcast. Second time in a week, third time on this feed in like five days. We've been very, very busy on the podcast, and you've been hearing a lot of me and a lot of this guy. It's Eric Cole. What's up, man? Yeah, my condolences to our listeners. I've had to, this is what, I think it's like the second time in three days for me. I can't, well, I mean, I guess like late Thursday night. So, well, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of stuff going on with the trade deadline and all that. And, you know, I think I can speak for all of us that we're quite tired, uh, but it's been a lot of fun. For sure. Uh, yeah, and if you missed it, we did talk about uh, on this feed. Obviously, this feed has Talking Chop Podcast and the Road to Atlanta Podcast on it. We both did reactions to the trade deadline. Um, Road to Atlanta in its normal spot and uh, TC on uh, sort of an emergency basis with Scott and I on Wednesday. So if you missed that, go back and listen to both of those shows. But uh, new content today in our normal slot of Sunday night. Um, a lot of interesting stuff that I wanted to touch on. And um, I, ha- I admitted to Eric offline that I missed Road to Atlanta this week. Tisk tisk for me. Um, Feel but, shame, Brad. And people Feel did, shame. I'm sure. It's it's only Sunday and people might have missed it, so I have to ask you now. We'll get it out of the way. How'd you feel about the deadline on Wednesday? Because uh, it did impact your life more than some, because you were the minor league guru, and uh, it, it wasn't a overwhelming minor league package that went out the door. But there were some names that you've become familiar with, and they're not there anymore, and that's always weird for you. Yeah, I mean, it, from a, a human perspective, you know, guys like Colby Allard, who I've been covering since I've been writing for Talking Chop. Uh, he was like one of my first assignments was that draft where it was Colby followed by Soroka. And, you know, you get to know those guys and you kind of appreciate how hard they work. And when it's something, someone like that and then, you you know, come combined with the Joey Wentz who we've been covering for a long time, too. And those are two guys we liked a lot. But at the end of the day, there were like probably at best in the second tier of starting pitching prospects that the Braves have right now. Uh, maybe a bit lower, depending on what you think about either one of those guys. And then Travis Demerit, who has been was not picked in the rule five draft two times in a row. Went kind of wild in AAA, and then now he's playing for the Tigers in the in the major leagues, which is kind of wild to me, you know. And then Dan Winkler, who didn't really have he a, for a a team that has a really tough bullpen situation when he was just sitting there in AAA that he couldn't crack that bullpen speaks to what you think the Braves think of him. So when you're those are the pieces you're giving up, you have to be happy, you know. You're gonna have to give up something to get real upgrades. But I mean, the Braves went out, saw a need in their bullpen, decided that they need to get some more consistent arms, some fresher arms, and some be- just overall just uh, get better there. And they did so with some guy with some with, with some team control in some cases, and they didn't have to give up the farm for it, you know. Especially when you're looking at a guy like Shane Green, where I know like the recency bias is everyone's like, well, here it comes, he's terrible now. It's just like the Kimbrel thing when the Cubs signed him. But it's you know he was like the, what the reporting was is that you're gonna have to give up a top prospect to get him and then the Rays didn't have to come close to doing that so overall I'm, I'm, I'm happy with how the deadline went you know 
everyone wishes that they could, you know your team could trade for three all stars at the trade deadline and all of a sudden become a World Series favorite. You know the Astros came pretty much the closest to doing that, but overall it's hard to be upset with what happened. For sure, I agree. And uh, yeah, the Shane Green thing has been uh, pretty. Uh, it was pretty hilarious to see Luke Jackson look like you know, dominant Luke Jackson, and then uh, Shane Green blow, blows a save moments later. Um, you still win um, that game. Oh, so I guess you won, you won the game today. I well, no, it, you know, no it, was, it was actually flipped because Shane Green to, like, blew the save. And then oh, that's the what it was, in, and in, then, in reverse. And then, yeah, and then that's the 10th inning, Jackson, like, struck out the side and looked, made it look easy. It was hysterical. Still, yeah, still won that game, which was funny. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, Shane Green, we, we talked about this on Wednesday. I, I was on record, and people were acting like I was smart today. I was like, no, it, just, it was pretty much common sense. Like, he was going to regress at some point. He isn't the guy that people thought he might be based on based on the low ones ERA. Yes, the low ones ERA was not sustainable. Weird. That's really surprising. Um, yeah, it's as though if you give you give up a run, all of a sudden it looks a lot worse. Yeah. Yeah, I mean four run, four runs in two games is um it's kind of a amusing way to kick it in gear a little bit for Shane Green, but he's a better pitcher than that. He's going to help this team, and I'm not worried at all about that. Um, let's see. Uh, I guess the, probably the more interesting thing to talk about since we've all sort we've all sort of shared our thoughts on what they actually did do. Cause I, I agree. It was, it was, they were all very reasonable deals. You, you didn't give up the farm. And I really appreciated the way that Anthopolis went about that. Um, what'd you feel about what they didn't do? Because, you know, the rotation is, was my spot where I was a little bit worried corner outfield. People got a little bit quieter when Adam Duvall started mashing about the corner outfield, but that was still a spot where people thought they, they might improve. And Anthopolis admitted to looking at the corner outfield spot, just didn't really find a nice, a nice fit there. Um, the rotation is probably this, still the hotbed though. Like particularly Kevin Gosman um, has, was not good in his, in, his, in his recent start. And people are already really mad about Kevin Gosman and want him either into the bullpen or just cut all together, which I found crazy. Um, because cutting him would be, I, I get it, but uh, they have a pretty substantial investment in him. So it's not a situation where I would just be sending him out um, of the organization necessarily, but uh, not a perfect solution here. So what do you feel about the rotation and what they might do with Gosman, etc.? I mean, I don't think that Gaussman's going to be long for this world. I know he's supposed to make his next start, which is like, you know, fine. <laughs> Wednesday, but, Wednesday, Minneapolis, catch the fever. Kevin Gaussman back on the mound. Yeah, nothing like a guy that has giving up, you know, problems with giving up home runs and going against the team that hits the most home runs in the major leagues. What could possibly go wrong in that situation? Uh, as I've said that, I know he'll go seven shutout innings now that I've said it out loud. But it's a tough situation just because it's not only that at the trade deadline they didn't acquire a starter. I, I was actually fine with that just because – like a couple teams really messed up that starter market, most notably the Mets, who were just out of, went out of nowhere and just decided to, you know, acquire Stroman because they have some weird plans on trying to compete in 2020 when their team's probably arguably going to be worse. And then you have that combined with the fact that they had they had the pieces that you would really want, either Zach Wheeler or if you were trying to maybe get a guy with more team control, Noah Syndergaard. And then they tried to set the market with those guys after they paid a like a bargain price on Stroman. Where teams are going to be like, we're not going to pay that price when you just traded for a starter who is arguably might be have slightly less value than the guys you're talking about, and you want us to pay double the cost. There's just it's just not going to happen. So if you wanted to get a starter, you're going to have to take on, for example, Zach Granke's money, which I'm sure the Braves probably talked about when they're you know when they're trying to take on like the Mark Melanson money and all that other stuff. It's like you can't really do that with that that big of a contract without having to really use the overall the prospect costs. And that was a pretty expensive trade in prospects, even without, even with taking on money. So, just there isn't any starters in this trade class, and I've kind of said this a few times. I just didn't. No one really moved the needle much for me. So as a result, I didn't really bother me so much. Uh, as it turns out, what they're going to do, I imagine that Gaussman will get one more start. Um, if history proves, he probably won't be particularly awesome. 
in which case I imagine that they're going to see whether or not Fulte's going to be ready. Uh, he's had his start. He had his start rained out. Well, pushed, pushed back slash rained out. So maybe he'll be ready to take that turn once, you know, Gaussman has his last, his next slash last outing. Um, maybe he's the option because that's another thing they have to kind of keep in mind is that, you know, Fulte's kind of lurking there in AAA. They have a couple other guys like Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson lurking down there too. What do you really do when you have these guys that potentially could be the easy answers, but they're bits of gambles versus going on a, a starter's market where the options don't really floor you? You know, maybe at the end of the day, just decide, hey, if it's we really think it's going to be a marginal difference, we might as well go with the guys that we have in-house and not have to give up any assets for them. So I don't think Gaussman's going to be in the rotation much longer. As to who actually fills that spot, that's a little bit murkier, and it might be, you know, there might be a little bit more trial and error this last month or two of the season. Yeah, I think they're praying that Fulte is Fulte in capital letters, and he can fill in that spot. That'd be the easiest solution. Um, if he's not that, then they have some problems. Uh, what do you make of Gosman in the bullpen? That's a it's, it's a popular notion because he's more of like a he's basically a two pitch guy at this point, which is not great for a starting pitcher. The problem is he's right handed, and they had they now have a lot of right handed right relief pitchers. So I mean, I was kind of in favor of maybe trying Gosman in the, in the bullpen before they added all these arms. But the, even like Jacob Webb's coming back now pretty soon as well. They have they have all these right handed right handed arms, and Josh Tomlin who is like the logical, you know, long man, you know, Snicker seems to love Josh Tomlin, um, you know, and, and he's been pretty decent this year as well. So, you know, I'm not sure there's a spot for Gosman. You know, even if the theory of that kind of makes some sense to try him there to try to get some value on someone who throws hard and might have some good stuff in the bullpen, there just isn't a place to really put him now, which sounds weird, but it's kind of true for a right-handed pitcher. Yeah, I, and the the thing that, about Gaussman that kind of kills me is that he's a two pitch pitcher, and one of his pitches isn't very good. And that, I mean, because his splitter is legitimately very good. You know, it's one of those splitters that you can, you can get guys to swing and miss on if you have another pitch you can pitch off of. The problem is that his fastball, he has some velocity, and maybe if he was in the bullpen role, he could throw it a little bit harder. But it has no movement on it. And if you're not, and I think uh, David Lee, uh, friend friend of Talking Chop, and many other people. Uh, said at best is like if you're not sitting fastball against Gaussman, you're doing it wrong. Just don't even swing at the splitter. Just swing at the fastball because it's it's you, you can make hard contact on it. He doesn't put much movement on it, and he doesn't really have anything else going on beyond like this mystery quote unquote cutter that he's been throwing in games that isn't showing up on Statcast or anything like that. I don't. The short answer to your question is that I don't have an easy solution. Is you seem, that, really, you seem really excited about Kevin Gosman, Eric. I have to say, you, have to, you seem really, really energetic and, optim, and optimistic about Kevin Gosman's future. That's all I'm I, saying. Yeah, I'm, I'm. Every time I watch him pitch, even when he gets like a one-two-three inning, he'll like have two hard-hit balls that like went right at guys, and like everyone's like, "Wow, it looks like he might be turning the corner." I'm like, "Did you see that ball that just got scorched right at Donaldson or something <laughs> like that?" You know, I'm like he's not fooling anybody. You know, he's just not getting guys to swing into splitter. Every once in a while, he'll get ahead of a guy, and then he can throw his splitter to get a strikeout. But most of the time, it's hard contact, and he just has to hope it goes at somebody. And that's not a guy that I really enjoy like watching pitch. And in a, a, any sort of like medium to high leverage situation out of the bullpen, when you have that guy and he just pipes 95 straight down the middle, that's not something that I'm looking forward to either. So combine that with the problem with the Braves. I have all these right-handers in the bullpen, and – most of them are arguably going to be better than him in bullpen situation. I don't don't really know what the fit is for him. Maybe except when like rosters expand uh, come September. Yeah, maybe they're just like hoping to cross their fingers and get to September, and maybe they just have another arm about it. That might be helpful. But I'm kind of with you uh, on this one, and we'll see what he looks like. I've always been kind of pro Kevin Gosman, but um, he's not been great lately, and I can't really defend it too much at the moment. In fact, I was surprised he's he's starting on Wednesday. 
that could still change, I guess, theoretically, but for now, it seems like uh, all signs point to that happening, and uh, maybe that'll be the D-Day for him. Um, before we get to a break here, Eric, um, there's also this minor league roster crunch that seems to be talked about. You, 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 put a, you put a tweet out on Sunday afternoon, evening that I won't hold you to, but if you want to break some news, feel free to do that. But anything uh, that strikes your fancy on the, in the upper minors, because a lot of moving parts means that uh, there could be some movement, I suppose? Yeah, it sounds like that's going to happen. Um, I, I've been hearing for the last couple of days, uh, since the trade deadline, what's happened is when you free up a, an outfield spot, you free up a starting pitching spot, and you kind of other things moving, like in terms of double A, you can start moving guys up and down to kind of make things work and figure out exactly what you want to do, which they couldn't really do right now. Like they would just be swapping guys like between double A and triple A to kind of get a guy to triple A, and they didn't, I don't think they really wanted to do that. But now that they have some, I know, some open spots on rosters, based on what I'm hearing, and again, this can change because these these things often do change based on what the rosters need at any given moment, and it could be happen later or it couldn't happen at all. But I would not be surprised if we saw Christian Pache, Drew Waters, Ian Anderson, and Tucker Davidson in AAA sooner rather than later. I'm not exactly sure how and when that'll happen because, again, you know, in terms of when things are you know announced and how they get to starter schedules and all that other stuff, you know, getting guys the time that they want. But based on what I'm hearing, and it's there's a lot of smoke. I wouldn't say that you know anything's official or anything's locked in yet, but I would not be surprised if we saw all those four guys in Gwinnett very soon. And you're talking about four of the Braves' top 12 prospects or so, uh, with you know Ian Anderson, Drew Waters, and Christian Pache being the top three in the organization, all of a sudden being showing up in Gwinnett. That'd be a big deal. Yeah, I mean, as someone who lives in Atlanta and it was uh, sort of a not born but uh, grew up in Gwinnett County, I'd be pretty excited to go up and maybe see those guys play uh, locally. I don't live that close to the stadium anymore, but that's a pretty easy uh, little drive for me with some traffic, I suppose. But uh, I, I have a lot more incentive to go up there and watch those guys than, than I do now. Uh, so that I'd be pretty interested in that. And I know you guys would be interested in just having those guys closer to watch them um, because, you know, you live near here and you can get there a lot easier than get to Mississippi, right? Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, 100%. Driving to Pearl, Mississippi <laughs> is, is real low on our list of things that we like to do. Yep. But uh, we, we already have some plans to go see those games. Uh, kind of, I, it's one of those things where I almost wish that the AAA affiliate was in Rome for a, a host of reasons uh, in terms of getting out there and actually being able to cover the game in a lot of ways. But we're going to be able to get to see these guys live and really see what they're what they're up to. And what we're really interested to see is, you know, whatever it happens, is Pache and Waters with that AAA ball. Um, seeing what happens because those are two guys that I think we might see a spike in power output, in which case I expect to get about two tweets a day as to when we're going to call them up to the majors, which will be funny. Oh, the, the minute it happened, the minute they go to Gwinnett, before they even take a swing, you'll be getting tweets about how. Oh, I'm what, still what, get, what I'm getting it now. Up. Yeah, I was going to say, like, who, need, who needs Gwinnett? Just bring him up because um, it has happened before. So everybody always likes to find the one exception to the rule of like the guy who skipped AAA altogether and. Yeah, Eric, why can't this happen? Um, so, yeah, I will, uh, I'll I'll let you guys talk about that as much as you want to on the Road to Atlanta podcast. And also, please direct your tweets to Eric at Leprechaun on the Twitter <laughs> machine about all the young guys because I have no answers for you. All I'm going to do is ask Eric. Just just so you know, if you ask me about a prospect, all I'm going to do is DM Eric and say, Eric, what's the answer to this question? And then or, I'm or, pass or, or, to you'll, or you'll tag me on it. That, or that. Yeah, one of those two. One of those, one of those two things will happen. If I, if I want to be serious and answer you, I will research it by asking Eric. And uh, if I don't want to be serious, I'll just tag Eric. So there you go. <laughs> Uh, there's a look behind the curtain. Okay, uh, we're, we're going to go to a quick break here before we come back talk more about what actually happened on the field this week. Uh, Dansby Swanson and Tyler Flowers, etc. And we'll come back after this short break, so stay tuned for all of that. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. 
But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Eric, we're back, and uh, let's talk about some baseball games. We didn't touch on too much in the way of actual on-field results on Wednesday's podcast. It was basically all trade deadline stuff. We did briefly mention that the Braves did take four out of six from Washington and Philly. Um, there wasn't too much going on there before you get into the early week part. But, you know, this, this the Cincinnati series was uh, a give and take. They went two and two. It wasn't a disaster. But they had some... Uh, Interesting moments along the way. Today's game was particularly frustrating in some ways because they came back to tie it. Um, by the way, a majestic bat flip from Ronald Acuna. Bat the, uh, flip of the year. My goodness. Um, to tie the game in the ninth. That was uh, one of those moments where I don't, I don't get too fired up usually anymore. Uh, I'm kind of the um, the media-hardened person that doesn't really, uh, always get super-duper high and low, especially in August. I was ready to run through a wall when, when uh, Ryan did that, so I, I really appreciated it. And, of course, they gave it back right away and lost. So, um, you know, what do you what do you make of what he, what you saw, I guess, dating back to the Philly series if you want to, but especially in the Cincinnati series since that was the most recent thing. Two and two isn't a disaster, but there was some uh, there was some highs and lows along the way. Well, I mean, the Washington and Philly series, you did they did exactly what they needed to do, which is keep distance away from them. Like, these head-to-head matchups with Philly and Washington are ultimately what they're going to decide the series, decide the division. Uh, I, I feel pretty strongly about that because there's some pretty easy matchups for all these teams down the stretch. And I think that everyone's going to be, kind of be able to keep pace overall in terms of, like, those non-head-to-head matchups. So what's gonna what happens in these head-to-head matchups is really what's gonna it's what's gonna matter going forward I think and you know the Braves having a seven-game lead going into you know the first week of August is obviously a really good place to be because that means that they these other teams really have to like make up a ton of ground. Um, as for the Cincinnati series, I'm just gonna be honest. One of the things that really frustrated me about this is I think this might be the worst umpiring crew in Major League Baseball in terms of calling balls and strikes. <laughs> It was like, not a uh, not popular on the Twitter machine. I, I can I can say that I was not I was not dialed into all four games like start to finish. But what I watched was not great, and uh, what I read from people that I trust, not just like the crazy fans, was also not great. Like everyone seemed to be in unison that it was pretty rough this weekend. Yeah, and it was just it was just frustrating, just because I mean there. The, 
like balls like f- five inches off the plate are being called strikes and obvious strikes are being called balls. And there's just no sensor to it. And it, it wasn't just happening to the Braves. It was happening to the Reds too. But I'm just like, what are we even doing here? You know, when, when the, the Braves beat writers who are just not the kinds of guys that are going to be advocating for this are talking about the automated strike zone and, and doing so in multiple occasions over the course of a series tells you all you need to know about how bad this umpiring crew was. So in, a lot of weird things happened. Obviously, the rain short. I, I kind of like having a rain shortened win, so that way you know you they didn't have to use any of their bullpen guys. Gives those guys a rest. Gives a little bit the of a shorter game. Complete game for Max Fried, by the way. Complete game. Yeah, he looked really good. He was <laughs> good that game. Yeah, he looked really good. Um, then we had our you know once a week Gaussman loss. Uh, it was not. It was. It, it was. It was nice to see the the Austin uh, Riley and Austin, Ronald Acuna go deep. That the, the the ball that Acuna hit, I'm not sure has landed yet. That's that first one he hit earlier in the series. Oh, on uh, Friday, yeah, that was a huge one. Yeah, and you know the the blown save from Green on Saturday, like I've that that was Luke Jackson Babbitt luck at its finest. I mean, one the ball that ended up driving in the tying run, the expected batting average on that was point zero seven zero. I mean, and that's a that's a pretty brutal bloop to you know have a run drive, drove in on you on. And that was Tucker Barnard, by the way, who also got the Braves today. You know, the 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 two guys that kept getting the Braves were like guys who hadn't had hits in like three weeks. Uh, so it's it's just kind of a fluky thing in terms of the losses. Was really happy to see Acuna. He seems like he's really getting going, and the he there's nothing that he can. He feels like his legs can do anything on the base pads right now. He's stealing bases all over the place. You know, stretching out like hard grounders up the middle. He's stretching into doubles. So it does stink that you know there was some of these creeping back into the issues with runners and scoring position stuff that we've heard in like earlier in the season and all that. But overall, that that Cincinnati team's not a bad team. That's I mean I understand they're in that fourth in that division, but if you're looking at run differential and kind of what they can do as a team, particularly with that pitching staff. You know, when you split them, split with them, it's really not that big a deal. Yeah, just for reference, the run differential is better than the Cardinals. It's better than the Brewers. It's better than the Phillies, um, and it's comparable to the Nationals. Um, so, you know, that's a team that's below 500, but it's not really a bad a bad baseball team, particularly with the additions that they have now with Trevor Bauer, etc. That's a good team. Um, not good, not a great team, but a, a decent one anyway that you split with. And you know, I, I think I saw a stat that the Braves were six of thirty. Um, with runner scoring position in the series, I know they were over. I know I know they were zero for eleven on Sunday. So, one of those spots where you just you know couldn't time stuff right, and your bullpen gives it up a little bit, little bit for you. It's frustrating because of the fact that Green just came in to do just that to make you look better. But you know, nice moments from Martin, by the way, who came who came on uh, immediately and looked fine. Um, Melanson, you know, mixed bag, I suppose. But uh, yeah. I'm not he really was, worried. He was, yeah, he was fine. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't. Yeah. it wasn't awesome. But he didn't blow you away. But he was fine. It wasn't. I mean, and, but, you know, I guess the moral of the story is the Braves are still up by seven games right now, and you know, yep. games are finished on August fourth. Seven game lead going into August fifth. Um, you know, that's again a pretty fantastic situation. There's almost there's only so much, so much we can say about that. But they played what 113 games. So that means they have 49 games to go. Up seven. Uh, I mean, they got to be a massive favorite, and everybody knows it. You know, it's not it's not it's not over by any means. No, but it is you know, not. as long as you take care of business and just play reasonable baseball the rest of the way, you're in great shape. So, no worries. That's that's kind of where I'm at with it. I, I I am feeling optimistic, but I'm certainly not like you know like planning my pl- trips to the playoffs or anything like that. Yeah, it's uh that's probably a safe way to put that. At this point in time, we'll obviously discuss that uh, much more in the next six, seven weeks before we get to the playoffs. Okay, a couple of situations that I wanted to at least address before we get out of here. It'll probably be a little bit shorter today because we, we did a lot of podcasts this week. Um, but two uh, player 
injury. One of them is injury, one of them is performance-related. Um, conundrums that we got asked about a lot that I wanted to pass along to you to get your reaction. Uh, Dansby Swanson, it looks like he's going to be delayed a little bit more. Um, there was some uh, talk today. Brian Snicker said that he's going to be reevaluating the next two or three days. May not return at all in Minnesota. May have to wait till the weekend, maybe to come back. Um, any worry at all, first, about Dansby's health and the way that they're treating that? And then, uh, I guess part two of that is uh, people were a little bit upset that Camargo keeps playing over Culberson because Camargo's been pretty bad in most uh, for most of the season, honestly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I have no issue with that necessarily, but I think the um, – you know, with the way that Camargo's been playing, I also don't have a problem at all if they go to if they go to Culberson because Culberson's just been better than Camargo this year, so I totally get it. Yeah, so I, I am a little bit concerned about the Dansby situation just because it seemed like they were optimistic and it feels like that there was like a setback of some kind. It makes me worry that heel injury may be a little bit more serious than they're they're letting on. You know, from it goes from hey, he felt a lot better today, we think he'll be back when it's time to activate him, and now it's been pushed back a couple of times. Makes me wonder if maybe there's just something else going on. And, you know, again, when you hurt your foot and, you know, it's kind of like in a weird, awkward step, you worry about like, you know, little tiny breaks or something like that that can like lead to significantly more time on the injured list. But I'll take them at their word. And as for the Camargo thing, I'm honestly and look, this is coming from you and I who have loved Camargo as a super utility guy who can come in and in these situations give you meaningful at like meaningful at bats and actually like produce a bit. He has the range of a beer league softball player player right now, and his at-bats have been terrible. I you mean, know, he, he, his numbers are, you know, listen, I, I was always a little bit lower on Camargo as a hitter than some people, some people were when they were talking about him being a full-time third baseman. Sure. But, but, he, I thought he was better than this. I, th- I still think he is, but for, for the season right now, his slash line, it's not that small of a sample, about 213 plate appearances. It's not a huge sample, but not, not a small one either. 220. 264 on base, 340 slugging, so about a 600 OPS, a 52 WRC plus for the season. Uh, defensively, the range has never been fantastic, never been a huge strike, but he's not moving very well. You know, he obviously has a cannon for an arm. I think defensively, he's almost underrated now. There was people that were like talking about how bad he is at shortstop. I'm like, he's not. I wouldn't say he's bad. I, he's not Dansby by any means, but you know, the overall performance for, for Camargo speaks for itself. He is a negative 0.6 Fangraphs WAR this season. And uh, it's not wrong. Like, he, he's been that bad, honestly. Like, I'm not sure he's that – I mean, I think he's not that bad long-term. We saw what he was last year when he was a 3-1 player. Like, I, I don't think you just suddenly go from being a 3-1 player to being sub-replacement level overnight. But, man, it's it's been rough, and it's, like, really kind of tough to defend. I, I know they want him to maybe play a little bit more and sort of get, get his groove back. But at a certain point, it's kind of rough. And I think, you know, if I had to bet now – he probably goes to the minors when Daisy comes back. I thought it was going to be. I think I thought, so too. I thought, I thought it might be. I thought it might be Riley, honestly. But with the way the Camargo looks, Riley, you know, you can at least bring in and kind of have him be your superpower bat if you don't want to play him every day. Um, Camargo's just been so bad. Like it's it's tough to rationalize playing him, which it's brutal to say. I think he's better than this, but he just isn't showing it right now. Well, well, see, here's my thing about it: is that I at least see like a a mind at work and like progress being attempted. On Austin Riley's part, he's just having a lot of trouble with breaking balls right now, and that's just. Well, a thing he, that he's I, super young. Like he's, yeah. he's super young, and his his ceiling is a lot higher than Camargo's ceiling. Like, oh, by a mile, Riley, yeah. You're playing Riley, at least in part right now, because of the future. Like the present def- definitely matters, but Riley, your concern with him more than anything else right now is, you know, they think he's their long term third baseman. Um, so if that's the case, you want to get him right, and that means tinkering and doing little things and try to improve Camargo. He's not super old. I think he's, he's still 25. Yeah, he's still 25 years old. He's not like 
washed up or anything, but he's not going to be a future starter for your team, probably. So if he's not playing now and not producing now, it gets really tough to play him. And my biggest thing is it looks like there's like a lack of like effort and energy on the field. And he almost looks like he's out of shape. You know what I mean? Like he just like it just looks like he's like tired and you know, doesn't like, isn't really running things out, isn't really, you know, like putting a lot of effort into the plays in the field. He doesn't look like he's in shape at the plate, and his swing looks all out of whack, particularly from the left side. There's just, again, for a guy that liked Camargo, never really loved him, but for what he did last year, like, you can't deny he he was a, a very important part of that division run last year. He really was. Um, and to see, to see, it's a very stark difference in the guy that you're watching right now. I don't know if he has something going on or if he, you know, has like a, like a lingering injury type thing or is his head's not right just because of the role he's had to play this year. But watching him right now has been pretty brutal and there's something not right. And when you're in the middle of a run like this where you're trying to like, you know, hold on to a number two seed where you have home field advantage and you don't have to deal with the Dodgers until the Anna, the, the National League Championship Series, if that's kind of what your goal is right now, I don't want a guy who, you know, can barely hit the ball. And it's almost like you prefer him not to swing the bat when he's at the plate because at least he has a chance of drawing a walk. You know, he, he, you know he's, not, he's not speedy. He's not giving you much defensively right now. It just it's, it's pretty brutal, honestly. Yeah, I mean, he's never been a great athlete necessarily, explosive guy like that. I, I do think that the the stuff about his temperament gets a little bit overplayed for me. I understand why it's out there because, like, that's how he looks. Like, he looks disinterested sometimes, but my counter would be that he kind of looks like that anyway. Like, last year, he's never been the most fiery guy, like, athletically sure. and all that stuff. So I'm a little bit wary to assign too much to his temperament because I, I, I don't know. Like, that might be true. Like, maybe he's not happy and maybe that's affecting his play. I will not argue with anybody that says that because I don't really know. For me, though, your point about him looking out of shape is, um, you know, one that I wouldn't argue with either. Like, I'm not sure he is, but he just is moving a little bit lethargically. It's not a situation where I can tell you definitively anything about the way his, he's thinking or what anything that he doesn't say publicly. We, we just don't know. But the whole combination right now is that he's fielding, you know, he's an average fielder. He's not going to make, he's not going to game change for you defensively, and he's not hitting. So, that isn't, and he's not a great runner, obviously. So he's not like you're going to be an X factor off the bench as a, as a pinch runner. He doesn't really bring that kind of um, value to the table. So, you know, give him a break if you want to. Send him to Gwinnett. I do think that right now, until until Swanson comes back, I'm okay playing him some, like, because there's just, you need to. But Col if they started Culberson on Monday, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't argue with that at shortstop. I don't, I don't think Culberson's great defensively at shortstop, but he's, he's, a, he, it's, it's just crazy to say. I trust him a lot more as a hitter than Camargo right now. And, <laughs> and here we are. We've come full circle. I mean, it's true, though. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. For, for, your, for your life right now, there's no way you'd rather have uh, Camargo in the box than Culberson. There's no way. I mean, it's funny, start, but it's true. Camargo anyway. <laughs> yeah, I just mean, I mean, I don't, I don't think Culberson's like a savior at shortstop. I think Dansby needs, needs to come back pretty badly. But Culberson, you can at least rely on his bat recently. So he's been hitting. Um, and there you go. He can play everywhere. You know, but, you know, I, I had no issue with Camargo starting this weekend at shortstop. There was people that were, like, mad about it even, like, before the game today. I'm like, no, it's fine. I don't think, like, I don't think that playing him is some, you know, great wrong that they have with, with, with Dansby out of the lineup. But when Dansby comes back... I, w I will argue, and w unless he shows something crazy in the next few days, I will argue that Camargo needs to be the one that goes down. Um, I think it's probably a two-horse race between Camargo and Riley unless, some unless somebody else gets hurt because there's just not anybody else that can go down naturally. So it's one of those two guys, and I would rather see Camargo go down, which is uh, it's a thing, Eric. I don't know. That's all yes. I got. 
not something I was expecting because again, I really liked him in that utility role. Then that having a utility role on the bench is really valuable, but it has not worked out this year. He's not hitting. No. I mean, if he was hitting, if he was hitting like even how he did two years ago, which is basically exactly league average, that's the kind of guy that we thought he was going to be. I thought he was going to be a league average bat that could play everywhere, and that is a guy who is valuable. Yes. He didn't need to be the he he didn't need to be the guy who was last year that was like a legitimate plus at the plate. That always seemed a little bit aggressive for me, and I said as much. But he's not. I didn't think he was going to be this bad, and I still don't think he's this bad. But he is right now, so that's all you can rely on. Pretty much, <sighs> yeah. Yeah, weird. All right, last thing I think. Uh, Tyler Flowers <laughs> has drawn a lot of ire recently. I will be the first to say this has been a pro Tyler Flowers podcast for quite some time. I think he's been very helpful for the Braves for a long time. Uh, but recently, it's been kind of an adventure for Flowers. He did homer today, uh, late in the game, to make my stat look a little bit better. Um, but before that home run, he was 6 of his last 55 at the plate. So 6 of 55. That's uh, very bad if you want to do the math there. Um, on the bright side... On the bright side, it was five extra base hits and one single. So the extra base hits were there. So his slugging wasn't like a complete disaster, but it was not good. Um, and that was about a month and a half of uh, play appearances for someone who's only a part-time player, obviously. Um, he did homer today. But in addition to that, you know, his pass ball problem is something that we haven't talked about on this podcast really at all. And I want to reference it now. He, uh, coming into today was leading baseball, and by leading I mean last in baseball, in pass balls with 13 pass balls this season. And that was tied with Josh Fegley at the top. And Fegley has played 15 more games than Flowers, so on a per-game basis, he's basically been the, the worst pass ball guy in the entire league. You know, Flowers, his framing has been a huge topic of conversation for a long time, even nationally. He's gotten a ton of attention for how great he is at framing, and that's still there. But if he can't catch the ball... It's, it's rough because he's never been able to throw. Like That has been the one thing that Flowers absolutely cannot do that we've acknowledged on this podcast is that he's, he's really bad in the running game. Um, but he hasn't hit recently, and the pass ball thing is weird. So there's natural calls for Brian McCann to play more. You know, Brian McCann is a hometown legend, and he's been pretty good this year. Um, at the same time, Brian McCann, you don't, probably don't want to play too much because he's kind of old. And if you're looking down the line, you might want to keep Brian McCann as fresh as possible. So Flowers is going to play unless he just is hurt or something like that. But what do you make of this weirdness, man? I mean, the, the pass ball thing particularly, like I'm not terribly worried about his bat because it's just going to come back, I think, unless he's just done immediately, which I can't imagine is the case. It's probably just a slump with the bat. But the pass ball thing is just kind of bizarre. I'm not really sure what to make of it. Yeah, I mean, it's been weird that he hasn't been particularly strong against left-handers this year like he was last year. It seems like a weird thing just all of a sudden to give up that kind of that big platoon advantage that you have and just all of a sudden it's just not there anymore. This makes you wonder if things have slowed down for him a little bit in terms of how his body works. But, you know, I I think he's going to be fine. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not – he, he has stated that he feels like he's in a funk in a lot of ways. And the pass ball thing he's also talked about that – the way he catches, there's like a lot of, you know, moving at the last minute. And I think that's a lot of thing that helps him with his framing is like, you know, he, he kind of does a lot of quick movements at the end so that way he can bring the ball back and it doesn't look like he's moved as much. And that helps oh, yeah. you know, steal those strikes. But when things aren't – perfectly in line and perfectly in sync with when the ball's getting to you all of a sudden you know the the ball ends up at the backstop which is not what you want to have happen so i it i i think he will be fine i think he is a guy that could benefit from a little bit of rest it's definitely it's the it's the dead of summer in atlanta so it's not crazy to think that a guy would be gassed and it's like you know it's you know it's super hot and he's been catching a good bit a good number of games and he's being relied on for a lot so you know maybe Maybe you give him, you give McCann the lion's share of some starts for a week or something like that, and then maybe get, help him get right. 
and while he works on some things, you know, behind the scenes and making sure that his catching is where he wants it to be. But overall, I'm not super worried just because that that, that tandem of McCann and Flowers has been productive. And as long as they're calling good games for this pitching staff that really just needs every edge it can get its hands on right now, then I'm 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 fine with it. But when you are have Flowers and then you also have Ender and Ciarte, the bottom of the lineup has become much less <laughs> exciting uh, over the last couple weeks or so, especially with Riley struggling too. So it's just kind of one of those things where it's kind of like we were really in, spoiled for a while having this really long, very dangerous lineup, and it went south very quickly. <laughs> Yes, it did. Uh, I tweeted today before the game started that Ender was hitting sixth in the lineup, and I wasn't upset about it, which tells you as far as it tells you a lot because I am uh, famously critical of hitting Ender anywhere but basically eighth. But the lineup, the way it was today, I'm not sure I would have hit him sixth, but it, it did not rage me, which tells you about how the lineup is going right now at the bottom of the lineup. Uh, just for some context on Flowers, there's some people that were really upset about Flowers right now. Like my, my mentions were kind of filling up a little bit this afternoon about how Flowers should be off the team and how he's useless and all this stuff. And just as, as a reminder to you, Tyler Flowers, as of today, coming into today, was already worth one and a half Fangraphs war this season. So he's about, about, about a two and a half war pace. And even with his struggles at the plate and 85 WRC plus, you know, he he's still not a bad, you know, 50% catcher. The Braves... I've said this a million times on this podcast, and people are probably already hearing it in their heads right now. The combination of Flowers and McCann is one of the ten, one of the you know eight or ten best combinations in baseball at catcher. It just it just is. Even yeah. even if Flowers is struggling, it's just the, it's just the reality. Catcher is such a wasteland around the league that if if your biggest problem is Tyler Flowers not being as good as he was last year and just kind of being a normal backup catcher, that's not a big problem. Uh, no, McCann can not. play more in the playoffs if he needs to if he's still hitting. Obviously, McCann's been a much better hitter than Flowers this year, but all things considered, you're still fine, and I, and I think Tyler Flowers is not going to suddenly be the worst hitting catcher in baseball. He's just not been that guy since, I don't know, 2013. Like He's been a pretty good hitter for a while now. Maybe he's just the guy he was last year, maybe even worse than that. Maybe he's maybe that, maybe that his current line of 230, 310, 422 coming into today, maybe that's a real number. And if that's true, that's that's okay. Like It's not, it's not good, but if again, for a guy who plays 50, like half the time, that's a perfectly average catcher, and if yeah, the can's still hitting, you're fine. Yeah, the line for catchers is is it's very really low. low. It just is. Yeah. Okay, before we sign off, can we talk about Adam Duvall because he has been going wild? Um, yes, I, I took a minor victory lap on Wednesday. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do it again though. That's fine. I have no problem with that. Um, but yeah, you know Duvall, since he arrived. His slash line right now is 400, 421 with an 886 slugging percentage. That now, pretty good. it's calmed down a little bit since, it, since Wednesday when he, I think he harbored, like, was it four times in the first four games, something like that? Uh, four in the first five, I think, something like that. Something like that, though. Now, it, now he has five home runs um, and two walks, which is funny. Um, but yeah, you know, Adam Duvall is not going to be this, but uh, it was nice to see him silence some folks. With his uh, barrage, and I can't wait for him to cool off again, which is what he's going to do, and people are going to get mad again. But um, you know, that's just a reminder of Adam Duvall as a major league baseball player. Like he's not a not a disaster. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed it. Do you have do you have takes on Adam Duvall, or is it like? By the way, it was amusing to see him hitting cleanup in the lineup today. I was like, wow, Adam Duvall was in the minors uh, two weeks ago. Now he's hitting cleanup. Yeah. I, other than the fact that obviously he's look, he's looked really good at the play. He said, in addition to just. You know the home runs and like kind of ha- ha- coming up in some big moments and going wild. Um, 
he's had some really good at bats that have extended some innings. You know, those couple walks he's gotten came in some big spots. And he's overall, I've just kind of enjoyed the quality of his bats rather than what we kind of saw last year where he just looked like he wasn't even competitive at the plate. But more importantly, he's looked really good in the field too. He's had some like some big time throws at home, and like he can feel that was the thing. Yeah, People always yeah. thought that he was a bad fielder, and he wasn't. He's never been he, a bad fielder. He's fine. He was actually a really good one. Yeah. Yes. And and it's it kind of it kind of kills me that people thought that you know there was like oh what are we gonna do without Marquez now? And now I'm looking at his F four, and his F four is already higher than Marquez's is for the whole season. And I'm just like, you know, it, being able to produce like produce power on a fairly regular basis can cover up a lot of crimes. And that's one thing that Duval can do. And yeah. he's shown that he's shown that in triple a, you know, he had a really bad look after the deadline. And when the Braves got him, he was legitimately terrible. He was, he was awful. It, it was a small yeah. sample, but he was awful. He was. Yeah. And I, and you know, obviously his current bad of 500 or whatever it is, is not sustainable, but I do like that. He's given me giving this shot and I think he's going to be a valuable piece down the stretch. I think that having a guy like him where you can rotate, you know, outfielders in and out and giving guys rest, especially when you kind of, you ha- you were currently in a comfortable spot in the standings. And the one thing that could get you is you get into September and everyone on the team is gassed where you yep. can get, you have a guy like Duvall, you have guys like Culberson. Hopefully you get, you know, the 2018 or at the very least the 2017 version of Camargo where you can put them, you can put them back in and rotate guys in and out. If you can give these guys rest, it will do them a lot of good and it will benefit the team long-term. So even if, you know, Duvall turns back into, you know, what he's been in his career, which is usually like around a 250 hitter and he hits some home runs. If that's the worst thing he is, it's fine. You know what I mean? He's, he's still a really good and valuable piece to the team. Yeah. If he's simply the guy he was for the three plus years before last year, um, he is a perfectly solid standard corner outfielder. Now it's a weird yep. package, like because it, it's low batting average, high power, but you know he was a basically a, you know he was averaging two wins per season, um, in the previous couple of years when he was hitting three, thirty home runs, and that's fine. Like it's not a he's not terribly sexy, and I think Marquez coming back would still be a nice boost because Marquez, if used properly, is a very useful piece. He hit the ball well this year, um, and those guys would be a nice little tandem in a lot of ways. But it, it's definitely useful to have Adam Duvall, a professional caliber starting outfielder just laying around when, when Marquez goes down and that, that's been a nice boost now I, I wait for the slump it's probably going to happen at some point but um he's already produced quite a bit of value you know five home you know he, just just the shorthand of five home runs in what nine games is um yep. that tells you a lot already about what he's capable of doing and it's going to slow down but uh it's nice to see at least I was pretty excited and sort of just basking in the glow of Adam Duvall not being terrible it's nice it was it was definitely nice, and I'm I'm happy for the guy too. He for he, sure. he could have easily shut down on on the team and like kind of just phoned it in down AAA, but he worked hard, put up some really like legitimately very good numbers down there, and earned his way back. Yeah, it was that's one of those nice stories that people uh, always enjoy following throughout a, a long long baseball season is that Adam Duvall just grinding away and uh, making making his way back and making an impact immediately. That was pretty cool to see. Um, so I guess the moral of the story right now. In early August, as the Braves are up seven games in the playoffs, um, and that's where we'll leave it for now. They're in great shape, and I think you know, all things considered, it was a very, very busy week. The team's better than it was a few days ago. Um, you know, <laughs> I guess uh, Shane Green meltdown notwithstanding, um, he'll be better in the future, hopefully immediately. And uh, you know, looking ahead, any any thoughts on the next on the next couple series this week? Because obviously, we're getting back into our normal schedule. We probably won't have another midweek podcast on this on this feed. Obviously, Road to Atlanta probably will in the near future. But Minnesota's good, and you're going to Minnesota, so I think um, anything remotely 
close to a positive result in that series would be nice to see. It's a three-gamer and then on to Miami to play a bad Marlins team. So seven games, I think if you went four and three of these seven, you'd be really happy considering Minnesota exists and you're playing at Miami instead of home, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of where I am is it's like four and three on that trip is what you want. You know, if you can steal the series from the Twins, all of a sudden you can really you can I could see the Braves actually putting some more games up in the division yep. because I think that, you know, it, it certainly helps that Philadelphia somehow lost the series to the White Sox today. Um, but, you know, it's it's funny just because between Philly and the Nationals, as long as you can keep putting together like a winning record, I don't think you need to to do it. It wasn't like when the Nationals were on that crazy hot streak where, like, the Braves had to play out of their minds for a while just to keep them at bay, which is what basically happened. Um, I think that the Nationals have cooled off a little bit. I think that some of those guys, some of, the, some of their pitchers haven't looked quite as good and as sharp. I think that as long as they're, the Braves are playing, like, above 500 baseball and a 4-3 and three trip would do that, like, that's where you want to be at the very least just to kind of keep things where they are right now. You know, obviously more would be better, but... I, I'm, I and I think four and three is a very doable, um, doable thing. Although that Twins team is a little scary. They are uh, they're good, and I was looking forward to Soroka Barrios on Monday, but that's not going to happen anymore. Apparently, Minnesota changed their rotation, so it's going to be Soroka Odorizzi on Monday, followed by Freed against Barrios, and then uh, your favorite and mine, Kevin Gosman, at one ten p.m. Eastern on Wednesday. I'm not going to see any of that game. I'll be at work, but um, that's could be uh, could be the rubber match. And Kevin Gosman going to the mound, so you don't love that. <laughs> I have to be honest. Uh, he's, he's, it's again a little scary, but again, since I've, I've dogged on him as much as I have, I'm I'm trying to put the reverse jinx in effect. And you know, he goes seven innings, and people tweet at me about how stupid I was and how before giving up on him. And I'm totally fine if that happens. You heard it here first, folks. Please direct all ire to here Eric. That's at at Leprechaun on the Twitter machine. He sent plenty of it my way in the recent past, <laughs> and. Uh, Ozzy Albee is still on the roster, Eric, in case you're wondering. No, no trade for Ozzy if you want to file that away for the future. Now, now that we're past the deadline, he can't get traded for at least another few months, but he's still on the roster if you want to send out that tweet every <laughs> once in a while as well. I really appreciate that. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but anyway, anything, anything else coming? I know the end of the minor league season is going to be dominating your life over the next month or so, but anything else that you want to uh, pass along and you know anything fun happening at TalkieChop.com? I mean, we're going to be doing some more work um, with Gwinnett. It sounds like this uh, the news about Pache and others is starting to slowly leak, leak out now. So we're going to be doing a lot of work with the Gwinnett, uh, looking at Gwinnett and getting views on those guys, uh, whoever ends up up there. So that's going to be kind of dominating our thinking beyond just you know, covering the recaps and getting it done and kind of getting to this home stretch of the season. It's, it's, it's a very interesting part of the season because we're all excited because we want to see what's going on with these guys. But at the same time, the cover, you know, recapping six minor league games every day for months at a time, you know, it, for all of us, it's just it, it, it's we, we definitely get a little bit tired. So we're kind of somewhat looking forward to the end of the minor league season so we can kind of focus on looking at the major league club and kind of start looking ahead to like some projects for the offseason. But at the same time, you know, it's really interesting to kind of see those last, these late season roster moves and what they kind of mean going forward. So that's kind of where we're heads at right now. Yep, plenty to monitor, and uh, as always, I will say it, if you are interested in the minor league side of things, especially, uh, we have the best coverage in the business that you can find, so check us out. It's not me doing it, it's Eric and uh, Eric, Eric and his crew are fantastic at the minor league stuff. I am just talking to a microphone a couple times a week, um, and write ever so occasionally. So, anyway, thank you, Eric, for joining me, as always, my friend, and uh, we will talk very soon, I'm sure. And uh, Road to Atlanta is coming soon, I suppose. But please subscribe to this feed and you will find this podcast and the Road to Atlanta podcast whenever they drop. We'll be here. And uh, subscribe to all that fun stuff. Any final thoughts? 
you know, Ender and CRT was batted sixth today, and it wasn't terrible, and, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm hopeful that the lineup looks better soon, and beyond that, you know, this team's really good, and there have been a lot of fun to watch, so the people who are really upset right now need to settle down a little bit. Yeah, that's good advice. A good baseball team, seven games up, and uh, not even I will be negative uh, as we head out of this podcast. Please subscribe, please tell a friend, and we'll see everybody later on.